Living a well-balanced lifestyle goes beyond ensuring your finances are in order. Welcome to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with Barbara Archer from Hightower. Barbara speaks with wellness industry leaders and related professionals to share more than financial planning advice. She addresses your questions about living a healthy lifestyle at any age. Learn how to gracefully maneuver life's challenges with support and resources to guide you along the way. Barbara and the team at Hightower help you make a plan, make an investment, and make a difference in your own wealth and well-being, and in your families, and within your community. Thank you for listening to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with Barbara Archer, sponsored by Hightower. Now, on to the show. Hello, I'm Barbara Archer, your host for Keeping the Well and Wealthy, where we discuss living a healthy lifestyle and offering support and resources to gracefully maneuver life's challenges at any age. Today, we will be addressing diabetes, the differences in type 1 and type 2, what we can do to control some of the risk factors, how to identify the symptoms, and hear about updates to treatments and monitoring options. Did you realize that diabetes is the leading cause of new cases of blindness in working age adults, or that hearing loss is twice as common in people with diabetes compared to those without the disease? With prediabetes, the rate of hearing loss is 30% higher than those with normal blood glucose or blood sugar levels. And if you have diabetes, your chance of having a stroke doubles. An American Diabetes Association report found that the annual cost of the disease is nearly $413 billion. Medical costs for people living with diabetes have increased by 35% over the past decade. So another amazing statistic is that if people with diabetes participated in the workforce, like peers without the disease, there would be 2 million more people between the ages of 18 and 65 in the workforce. So now, please join me as we learn more from my guest, Dr. Kevin Peterson. Kevin is the Vice President of Primary Care and Quality at the American Diabetes Association, or ADA, and Professor Emeritus at the University of Minnesota Medical School. Prior to this position at the ADA, Dr. Peterson directed the Center of Excellence in Primary Care with additional appointments in the Institute for Health Informatics and the Institute for Engineering and Medicine a fellow of the American Academy of Family Physicians and the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh, Dr. Peterson has published hundreds of scientific articles and publications focusing on diabetes care, clinical trials, and medical engineering. So welcome, Kevin, and thank you for joining me today to educate my audience and me on diabetes. Well, thank you very much, Barbara. It's really a pleasure to be here. I'm always happy to talk about diabetes. Well, thank you for taking the time. And the first thing I'd like to know is how you became involved with the American Diabetes Association. Well, I've been, you know, interested in diabetes for a long, long time. I have to say that my first exposure to diabetes was way, way back in the 1960s when I had a cousin that came in and lived with us and had diabetes and and, and times were really tough at that time. Oh, you know, I I went on and my grandmother had developed diabetes. I thought, well, I could, maybe I could help with this. And finally, when I got into my residency training, I started doing a, a, I started looking more closely. I I asked for some time off to do some research in diabetes and I got a grant and then got another one. And next thing you know, I was on the faculty and it just went from there. Oh my gosh. So you have 
always had a long history in this particular disease. So please explain the difference to me between type one and type two diabetes. We hear that, we see that. And what, what makes them so different from each other? Well, in type one diabetes, the cells in the body uh, that make insulin just don't work. The islets of Langerhans, that just don't work. Uh, there's no insulin that's that's produced. And so that usually occurs in young people, although we see it more in older people now, but mm-hmm. it used to be called juvenile onset because people thought it only occurred in young people. The, the trouble with that is that it's a when, when you lose insulin, that's a very serious condition and and it often resulted in death as uh, in many in the years past before insulin. Type 2 diabetes is a, a disease that comes on where the, the insulin that's created doesn't work very well. It doesn't get the blood sugar into the cells very well. And, and that can come on oftentimes in later life. We used to call that maturity onset. But of course, now we see that occurring in younger people too. It, it's still a serious problem. And in the end, uh, oftentimes those people will end up stopping making insulin, which again presents real serious problems and the complications are serious, but it's it's a different presentation. Well, my annual physical includes what's called an A1C test to check blood glucose levels. So how accurate is this test? Why is it important? And can, my question is, can we eat or drink the night before anything we normally would before we have the test and does that affect the results? Well, you know, you can relax about eating the night before because you're not really going to trick that old test. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> the A1C test is a, is a great test that was invented not that long ago that, that uh, measures the exposure of the hemoglobin to high blood sugars in the blood. And by doing that, we can get an, an estimate of your average blood sugar over the previous 90 days. So that test is going to be looking at how you've been doing overall for the last three months. Hmm. Um, what you eat last night isn't going to be that much difference. So is it ac- we, is it we ac- should behave for three months. Is that what you're yeah. telling me? <laughs> yeah, it means that the, <laughs> okay. that, that that number is going to really, really looking at the last three months. <laughs> okay. It's it's a pretty accurate test. It's not perfect. It's It's not as accurate as some of our blood sugar measures that are accurate to the one point. Usually within half a point or so, it's it, but it's a good way to follow uh, overall patterns in care. Are you better or worse than you were last time? Oh, good. So, what are the symptoms of diabetes, and how is it do- diagnosed? Well, the classic symptoms of uh, no insulin are an increased thirst, uh, what we call you know polydipsia, an increased uh, desire to eat, and uh, and then an increased amount of urination. Now, those symptoms have been recognized for actually thousands of years. But the the idea really is, I mean, the the thing is, when a person has a risk for type 1, we have to be really careful and watch kids for this because when a a child begins to have those kinds of of, uh, symptoms, they ought to get checked right away. In older people, it doesn't always present that way. With type 2, it can present with a lot of different things. But you know, uh, uh, a tiredness. I just don't have the energy I used to have. Uh, uh, they might increased uh, increased urination. They might notice increased urination. Maybe they'll just have a rash that they didn't used to have, or their eyes get blurred once in a while. Hmm. There are lots of ways that it can present as it comes on kind of insidiously in older people. So, how is it finally diagnosed? Well, there are a few different tests that uh, we can run to diagnose diabetes, but all of them 
are based on a high blood sugar. Uh, when a, a blood sugar is elevated over a certain level, then that is the diagnosis of diabetes. That level depends on when you ate last and 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 whether we've challenged you with 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 a glucose challenge and things like that. So there are three or four different tests that we can use, but overall, high blood sugar. High blood sugar. Now, is there a difference in type one or type two in its effects on children versus adults? Well, you know the effects, the problems with diabetes is are re the long-term problems are really caused by high blood sugar. And so those are the same in young people as they would be in old people. That is a young person, if uh, once they get a little bit of control, the, the problems with, um, because if you don't treat it at all, of course, with no insulin, that's deadly. But when you, when you can treat it, the complications that we see developing are the result of long-term exposure to high blood sugar. So those are similar in older people as they are in younger people. The, the high blood sugar goes in and damages the, the very small blood, blood vessels in the body. And so wherever in the body you have small blood vessels, that's the area that diabetes targets and damages. So like and, toes? Yes. Feet? So we see that. Mm -hmm. um, so we see the little blood vessels that feed the nerves get blocked. Well, the longest nerves in the body have the biggest effect. And those are the ones that go to the toes and then the feet. Mm. And so people start losing sensation or they get tingling or burning in their feet. There's very small little blood vessels on the retina in the back of the eye. And so those get damaged and can result in a, in a sudden bleed. And that is why diabetes is the leading cause of blindness in America. Oh my gosh. The other place is in the very little blood vessels in the kidneys where the kidney cleanses the blood, it takes the blood and cleans out that. And it does that by getting, putting these blood vessels or they putting the blood through very small filters. Well, it can block those blood vessels, which is why diabetes is also the leading cause of, of kidney failure in America. Oh my goodness. Well, so with gestational diabetes, is that temporary? Is it much different than the other two types? And does it go away after the birth of a child? Because I hear of friends who have, you know, or, or friends that I've had that have had gestational diabetes. And I've always wondered what what's their future prognosis? Well, you know, we classify gestational diabetes as a different kind of diabetes. It's one of the reasons I started getting involved when I first started mm. working with, with pregnant women and diabetes. Uh, the, 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 the problems are different because now you have a baby you have to watch and babies can be damaged as well by that really high blood sugar and all the problems that go along with it. Women develop gestational diabetes when, when they just aren't able to, to, they don't have enough insulin to cope and, 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 they, and, the, and the trouble is that those babies can become like with all the extra insulin or the other, all the higher blood sugar, they don't get smaller, they get bigger. And oh. so women can develop really big, unhealthy, big children. About half of women that have gestational diabetes, uh, it could go, it pretty much goes away afterwards. All women that had gestational diabetes should get screened again at about six weeks because 50% of women that had gestational diabetes are at risk of developing diabetes later on in life. Oh my goodness. So now that we're talking about that and I'm learning more about what I'm surprised to hear 
that only half of it goes away. I always thought, well, it's when it's called gestational diabetes, after gestation, it must just disappear. And if that's not true, what are some of the other common misconceptions that we might hear about diabetes? Oh my, so, so many misconceptions of, from di in diabetes. And a lot of them are due because are, are due from historical um, perceptions of what happened. I mean, we, I, I mean, one of the biggest is that eating causes that, that the, what you eat causes diabetes. Well, that's not really true. I mean, obesity has a predisposition to diabetes. But but it, it's but people used to scold my grandmother when she was eating things that they didn't think she should eat. Well, you know, we have to live a normal life, don't we? Sure. There, there are misconceptions. There are a lot of misconceptions around insulin. Some people are worried that insulin must be dangerous or cause other problems when when my goodness, nowadays, insulin is such a such an easy to take pure placement for a, a hormone that already exists in the blood. So uh, I think a, there's some misconceptions about insulin as well. Well, can you tell me a little bit about how insulin actually works in our bodies? Yeah, insulin is a hormone that's secreted from the pancreas that promotes the delivery of glucose into the cells. So it helps glucose go into the cells. So mostly muscle cells, actually, but others as well. And so what happens when you don't have it around or when it's not working is that the blood sugar can't get into things like the muscle cells. And so people feel really tired because they don't have any energy and their blood sugars get really high. So it's kind of like those muscles are starving, but the blood, but the, but the sugar is all staying in the blood. Oh, so how can a patient effectively manage blood sugar levels on a daily basis? And I, I'm curious if I have a friend that has diabetes, should I not offer them a piece of chocolate cake? Well, you know, <laughs> I, I think that the, the best management for diabetes is self-management is it's knowing more. The more you know about diabetes, the better you are able to take care of it. I, I would encourage everybody that especially people that have diabetes, but people that have in the family of people with diabetes, I'd encourage them to to learn about uh, learn more about how to manage. It's not an easy question when because suddenly we're kind of thinking like a pancreas. There are lots of different mm. there are lots of different things that affect that from activity to eating. It varies uh, by weight and by and and by age. And 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 what we eat varies by our culture too. And you know the the purpose of that education is for people to live a normal life. And everybody's life is a little different. So then the more we know about it, the better we're able to do that. Well what are some of the lifestyle changes you might suggest to a person with diabetes? Well, we know that being sedentary and gaining a lot of weight, that's not good. So mm -hmm. uh, a healthy lifestyle is the best lifestyle for diabetes. You mentioned, does a person, should how should a person restrict what they have? Well, we want a person to be able to live a healthy life, and that means eat healthy foods. It's probably not good for anybody to eat a whole bunch of unhealthy foods, including lots of chocolate cake. Yes. But 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 you know, every once in a while, yeah, that's fine. I think that 
you know, uh, I would encourage in, in a healthy lifestyle, you know what that really means, and we're all going to groan. It means exercise. It means out activity, walking. You don't have to be a marathon runner. Get out and walk to the mailbox or, or get out and walk to the store. It means moderation in what you're in what you're eating. Try to keep, try to keep a fit. Try to try not to gain those extra few pounds. It'll do you better in the long run. So what can make a person more susceptible to having diabetes in the first place? Well, a lot of this is, is your genetic predisposition. I'm afraid that a lot of people don't have a lot of choice. Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, uh, some of it is passed down. Actually, type two diabetes is passed down more in families than type one. Really, um, but type yeah, two. Yeah, it is. People sometimes think people with type one must have it in the family, and and children with type one have a have a have a fourteen percent higher rate than other if they have a brother or a sister. But but type two, boy, uh, if you have it running in your family, you can have a fifty uh, percent chance of developing later on in life. So it's passed down by by that. It's so it's not just that people have misbehaved. Another misconception. If we if and then part of it's going to be, you know, again maintaining that healthy lifestyle. Okay, so weight is an important factor as well, besides the foods we eat and the exercise. No doubt about it. Gaining weight, uh, weight fat itself is neat is very insulin resistant. It just needs lots of insulin and it just doesn't, it doesn't respond very well. And so the more fat you have, the more you're straining your pancreas and, and it just can't keep up after a while. Can you reverse type? Well, if it's weight related type two diabetes, is that reversible? Well, I wish we had agreement on that. A lot of people talk about uh, about remission, I think that uh, you can, if if you get control of your lifestyle and you uh, and you get more healthy, you drop weight. Uh, some people do that um, through surgery or through medicines. They can drop weight. They find that they don't need to be treated for diabetes anymore. So we call that a remission. I wouldn't say you ever. It never like goes away. If you gained your weight back, eh, it probably come back. Excuse the interruption. I know you're listening to High Towers Keeping the Well and Wealthy podcast, but if you have questions related to these or other wellness and financial issues, please reach out to your advisor or go to hightoweradvisors.com to find a financial advisor near you. Now, back to Barbara. Oh, that's interesting. So what are some of the additional physical side effects from diabetes? We've talked about a little bit the toes because of the lack of circulation. So other foot issues or other things that, I mean, I'm surprised I didn't even think about the small blood vessels behind the eye and that being the reason for blindness. Sure. There's, well, I mean, there are the, the, the major complications or problems with, with diabetes is that are usually related to those small blood vessels. And so we mentioned those being the the nerve damage to, or nerve, people begin to lose the sensation in their um, in their feet, and and then that can lead to trauma or you know an accidental injury. I'd encourage people that once if they begin to lose the sensation of the feet, they should really be looking. The first thing you can do is get 
shoes that fit, orthotic yes. shoes, get stuff that, you know, put away those heels and get into some shoes that don't cause damage because you won't feel it. When people say they have neuropathy, mm -hmm. is that maybe an inkling that they should get their blood sugar checked as well? Yeah, it really is related. You know, the, the neuropathy is, all of these things are the result of a long-term exposure to high blood sugar. So a neuropathy is the res complication due to the high blood sugar for too long, as is the kidney disease and as is some um, uh, other complications like uh, eye disease. Everybody should get screened too, by the way, get their eyes looked at once a year with diabetes because you want to see in the back of those blood vessels. Sometimes people think, well, my eyes will start getting worse slowly and then I'll go in and be seen, but that's not the way it works. Mm -hmm. If your eyes are fine, everything seems fine. And then boom, the, the little blood vessels, they get blocked. And so they create other little blood vessels to get around it. And then one day, boom, one bleeds. Oh, that's one eye gone. So eh, it comes down really suddenly. If we get, if you get them checked, gosh, there's really good medicine and good treatments to help prevent those things from bleeding and keeping eyesight. So get ahead of it, right? Get ahead of it. All of this stuff is prevention is, is worth a pound of cure. That's, that's for many of our diseases, isn't it? Just prevention <laughs> if we can. It is so. Whatever genetics doesn't curse us with sometimes. But what are the latest advancements in diabetes treatments? What's new? Oh. What's out there? Oh, there's, there's, <laughs> there's really wonderful stuff. I'm going to divide it into type one and type two. So in okay. type one, uh, we've got some amazing uh, well, of course, we've just not long, it hasn't been long that we've had what's called the hybrid closed loop system. It's a, a system that measures your blood sugar and then delivers the insulin directly to you. Now, it's not exactly the same as an artificial pancreas because the pancreas works directly with the blood and, and these systems work with the subcutaneous tissue. So that's not quite the same, it's a little slower to respond, but it's wonderful stuff and our kids are so much better with it. Um, oh. uh, we have our, at the, our ADA camps, I just love it because they're able, they follow these kids. They were following 300 kids all in the same uh, computer board. And they used to have 35 kids a day with low blood sugars. Now that they had one episode, oh uh, it gosh. was great. That's these things, amazing. These systems are great. Now that's not the end of it. Cause we've, we've now actually begun to take a look at creating those islet cells and implanting them and have them create uh, insulin themselves. Still experimental, but, but there's really hope. promising, really promising, really promising. That's so exciting. I never, I think for the first time at the American Diabetes Association um, sessions last year, I, I heard our chief medical officer talk about a possible cure. Oh so I think gosh. that's wonderful stuff. With type oh. two, by the way, there's lots of advances as well. We've got, you know, you of course, everybody think hears about all the Ozempic stuff and how that's great for weight loss, but it's actually a diabetes medicine, and it's it, it it's wonderful because it allows people just to to kind of turn off that drive to eat, and the loss of weight does great things for their diabetes. Sometimes they go right into remission without needing additional work. Um, in the long run, that's going to help complications a lot. So, and we have lots of those medicines coming out. We have lots of companies working on it. So Zempic is first generation. We've got Manjaro, second generation. And we've got new ones that are kind of that third generation affecting three different incretin sites, three different sites in the body. 
oh, these are wonderful things, major advances. That's so exciting. So it's not, when I grew up, my girlfriend that had diabetes, I felt like she was always sticking her finger and then she would show me how she would shoot the insulin into her stomach or her thigh. And I'd be like, okay. I mean, it, it seemed just ongoing and ongoing. It has been historically too. It's been a real trial. When I was young, I'd watch my, my cousin boil the needle in the morning and take one shot a day. Uh, oh. using this great big needle it hand sharpened oh uh, my gosh nowadays these you know with the the uh, the hybrid closed loop systems they just you pop them on and they really they're great how long um, do they last when they put them on well they can last two or three days uh oh, they gosh. do have to get changed but it's not uh, they don't even we don't even really need to do very much finger pricking, not like we used to. I, people should still know how to do that. Sure. The, at the camp I was at, one of the comments from the uh, from one of the uh, workers was that she needed to go find an insulin syringe and she couldn't find it. And she just thought it was amazing that she was at diabetes camp and she had to be looking for an insulin syringe. Oh my gosh. There yeah, has wonderful. been such great progress. And I'm excited to hear about the future too. That's really terrific news. So People that do suffer from diabetes, though, how does that maybe affect their mental health? Is there any more depression or anxiety or stress? You mentioned fatigue. So that that I know can be um, one of the symptoms, but just from a mental health standpoint, is there you know, any I, different challenge? I'm going to, I'm going to turn it around a little bit and say, you know, the 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 problem with one of the problems with mental health, which is such a problem in our society, is that it's really hard to cope with diabetes when you have when your mental health is not where it should be. So I think what we found is that, gosh, when people come in with depression or or problems with just coping with their life, we have to fix that has to be addressed first. Otherwise, you'll never get around to getting control of your diabetes. It takes work to do that. You need to be fit mentally. So sure. mental health kind of in the medical world, kind of trumps. You have to, you have to get that taken care of, then get on with the diabetes. Well, thank you for that. Now, are there any sexual implications from the disease? And if so, if there are any treatments available? I'm really glad you mentioned it because it's kind of one of those things people don't, they're kind of shy about talking about. They don't want to say something about it, but. Yeah, well, I guess you figured out I'm not shy. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you can ask the, yes, it, it is a common cause. It is particularly a common cause of erectile dysfunction. As people get uh, older, erectile dysfunction is a pretty common thing among men. And it's even uh, more common among diabetes, among people with diabetes. And yet it can, uh, it, people should talk about it with the doctor because there are, there are things available. Uh, uh, there are ways to, um, you know, we have a variety of different medicines that can help with that. Uh, we have a variety of, of other supports that can be used. So yes, it's a common problem, uh, both in men and in women, uh, that needs to be talked more thoroughly with your primary care doctor and encourage people to talk about it. All right. Anyone out there? With diabetes, please talk to your doctor. Don't ignore that. So you mentioned about exercise helping. 
Is there a specific kind of regimen? I mean, strength training or aerobics better? Is there one or are there specific precautions that people with diabetes should take when they begin an exercise program? Well, if you have diabetes, I'd encourage you to talk to your doctor before you start a, a rigorous program, because especially if you if you're a little ways down the line and some of those blood vessels are getting pretty tender and and uh, and fragile, I don't really want people standing on their head, putting pressure on those blood vessels on the eye, or or oh, or good. or running around if they don't have that their foot sensation quite quite up to scratch because. You know, running can cause, that can cause trouble and as well. So I'd always encourage a person to check with their doctor. Also, heart disease is very common. And by golly, we ought to get your clearance from your doctor before you start a program, partly just to keep your heart safe. So yeah, I'd encourage people to. But then uh, the kind of exercise that a person can do, well, if you aren't affected by any of those problems, then I'm going to say there's not very much that you should be limited to. And, and so we have... We have Olympic athletes that are on um, that have had diabetes all their life, and they do a wonderful job and 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 are enormously competitive. Uh, That's a think, really good point. You're right. Yeah. They, yes, the Olympic so, athletes with diabetes. Okay. They do great. They have to watch a little bit, but uh, they, but they do great. I'm a big fan of walking. Probably even a bigger fan of walking than I am of running. Because I, I do see quite a few, you know, those knees and those hips. Yeah, <laughs> they, injuries. They can wear out. Injuries mm -hmm. can, can, can come along, you know. Uh, but walking is great. Activity is great. We just spent too much time sitting in a car. Or in front of our computers. Or in front of a TV. <laughs> or a TV. Okay. <laughs> well, everyone listen up. <laughs> Go take a walk after dinner. Don't turn on the TV. Go take a walk. Isn't it? Isn't it, isn't it expected that you get a doctor on here and he tells you to live a healthy lifestyle, oh, but gosh. it really is important. So speaking of healthy lifestyle, I'm surprised to hear that type two diabetes can have some genetic predisposition. So there are steps we can all take though, just to reduce the risk of developing type two diabetes. Well, I, I think that the major cautions are, are going to be things like keeping your weight under control, uh, keeping weight. a physically active, uh, active, keeping yourself physically active in the studies that we've, that have been done, uh, things like going on a diet, uh, will allow a person to lose weight, but most people can't control that. Most people gain their weight back and only about 30% of people can maintain a, a diet for over three years. 30%. When you look at, wow. 30%. So not, there goes yeah. those resolutions sometimes, huh? So. With exercise, though, we were able to see uh, that 70% um, of people could maintain an exercise regimen for 10 years. That's oh. great. So on the whole, watch what you eat and get out there and get active. All right, get active. So what are your hopes, Kevin, for the future in terms of diabetes treatment and management? And how do you envision the landscape of diabetes care evolving? Well, I'm hopeful. I think that we're going to have a cure for type 1 diabetes. That would be hopeful. such a blessing. Soon. Soon, I think, I think in my lifetime, and and I'm an older guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very I, hopeful. I love hearing this. Certainly, in the lifetime of many people that are younger, 
I think that we're going to see some dramatic changes in the care of type two. Oh, we're going to have other challenges. You know, um, if we get a medicine that helps people lose lots of weight, that's great. But how are we going to keep them healthy? Because ah. the current medicines take away your muscle as well as your fat. So oh, we, good yeah, point. yeah, yes. we lose muscle as well as fat. And then of course, nobody wants to lose 50% of their muscle. They just want to lose 50% of their fat. Oh my gosh. So, so we have to, when we get on these medicines, we have to, you know, exercise and activity becomes even more important. And what kind? Walking, lifting. I, I like lifting. I think that's great. Uh, isometrics, dance, goodness sakes, yoga. I think whatever, whatever makes you feel good and keeps you in it good keeps shape. Keeps you moving, right? Yep, keeps you moving. Well, can you recommend some resources or support groups that have been helpful to patients with diabetes? Yeah, well, I, of course, think that the American Diabetes Association is the premier organization in our country for providing support for people with diabetes. So I would encourage people to visit the uh, American Diabetes Association website. Uh, there is wonderful educational information. We provide the training for, for more diabetes educators than anyone else in the world. And that's simply uh, diabetes.org, correct? Diabetes.org. Okay, simple. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention also uh, has some wonderful sites that provide uh, information for people with diabetes. And oftentimes, uh, I, all of these organizations are providing this in multiple languages. So I would, I, so I, I would also recommend their site. Well, thank you. I will get those on our podcast notes. So Kevin, you've been so informative on sharing your knowledge in diabetes. And some of the notes I've picked up here are that common symptoms can be urinating often, feeling very thirsty, extreme fatigue, and even possibly blurry vision. Um, early detection can reduce diabetes complications like cardiovascular disease, neuropathy, eye-related diseases, gum disease, and medications have changed. And not all people with diabetes need insulin injections every day that I'm used to hearing about. So Kevin, my final question for you is this, how do you keep your well and wealthy? Oh gosh, I think that there's nothing that's worth more than being healthy. And so I I'm try to live the life. I'm out in the gym three to four times a week. My trainer is is um, a real support for me and uh, and provides that information. It provides actually he trains me and my whole family. I think that activity and uh, healthy living and a healthy lifestyle and eating properly, gosh, I that that's the way we maintain our health and what is wealth if we don't have health? Well, thank you for that. I really appreciate you joining me today, Kevin, for educating us on diabetes and our challenges today. Please look for the podcast notes to find more information on the American Diabetes Association at diabetes.org and look for the ADA's and look for the ADA's Ask the Experts podcast to learn more.
So thank you for tuning in and listening to Keeping the Well and Wealthy with me as your host, Barbara Archer. If you have not yet subscribed to the podcast, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when I come out with a new podcast, it will show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask you to share this podcast, rate it and leave a review as this actually helps others find the show. Again, thanks for listening today. From everyone at Hightower Advisors, this is Barbara Archer reminding you to go out in the world and make a difference. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with Barbara Archer, sponsored by Hightower. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Hightower Wealth Advisors. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Hightower Wealth Advisors is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is neither indicative nor a guarantee of future results. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data or other information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other data or information contained in this presentation is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. Hightower Wealth Advisors and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. Hightower Wealth Advisors and Hightower Advisors LLC assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to this information. The information is provided as of the date referenced in the document. Such data and other information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed herein are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material is not intended or written to provide and should not be relied upon or used as a substitute for tax or legal advice. Information contained herein does not consider an individual's or entity's specific circumstances or applicable governing law, which may vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction and be subject to change. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor for related questions.